0: I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer, but they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code birthful15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. Welcome to The Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today's birth stories are with Lydia Palermo. Lydia's first birth started with a premature induction for preeclampsia and resulted in many interventions. When she was diagnosed again with preeclampsia during her second pregnancy and was looking at another imminent induction, she did everything in her power to get labor going to hopefully birth on her own terms. Did it work? Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, Mighty Parents and Parents-to-be. Thank you, as always, for making this podcast a part of your day and for telling all your friends and family and even sharing about it on your social media feeds. I truly do appreciate it. And if you happen to share it on Instagram, make sure to add the hashtag birthful so I can see it and give it some love. Also, if what you hear is helpful, do make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you think you get a lot out of this podcast and think that it's been a really helpful resource in your pregnancy and postpartum journey, then consider extending your support. One way to do that is by supporting our sponsors, which in this week's case are Third Love and Better Help. You can also become an official Birthful patron by joining the Birthful community at patreon.com slash birthful. And as a thank you, you're going to have access to ad free episodes, including your own private RSS feed, and to the extra content that I create for each episode and in some cases this extra audio this extra content is audio other times is helpful handouts sometimes it's both so for example for today's episode you would get extra audio of my chat with Lydia where we talk more about dealing with super fast births coping mechanisms that work for her and why she was never afraid of having her baby on the side of the road also one of the top tier rewards at patreon.com slash birthful includes a coupon code for my thrive with your newborn class and the difference basically comes out in the wash so if you're thinking about getting the class swing by patreon first to get your code and that way you'll also have more direct access to me through the birthful patreon page find out more and join the birthful community at patreon.com slash birthful and to find out more about the online postpartum preparation class go to birthfulcourses.com All right. So originally, Lydia contacted me to share her breastfeeding stories. But it turns out that most of her feeding difficulties were due to true insufficient milk production, which is rare and really hard to deal with if you try all the things to get breastfeeding to work. She did want to make sure that people knew that this was a possibility. So even though we focus mostly on her birth stories, we do venture into some of her breastfeeding journey as well. And if you want more information on and evidence on insufficient milk production or low milk supply, I am adding a link on the show notes to an episode I did with Diana kassar on the topic, as well as an episode on milk sharing with Amber McCann. All right, here is my talk with Lydia. Welcome, Lydia. I am very happy to have you here on the show today.
1: Thank you so much, Adriana. Thanks for having me. I can't wait.
0: Yeah, so you've got two Bert's stories to share with us today and a little bit of breastfeeding information too. Um, Why don't we start by you telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. Um, I am married to Scott. We've been married for about 14 years and we have a beautiful seven-year-old Bella and a little baby Marcus who is five months.
0: Mm. And so let's like take you back to before Bella was born. What was you, where were you at with birth? Like, what did you think? What were your expectations and your wishes?
1: Well, yeah, so I was um, studying holistic nutrition at the time, and I was very um, excited about bringing that into the world of birth and focusing on, I was sure that if I ate the right diet, that I was going to have a perfect pregnancy and a perfect postpartum. And um, I was just very excited to be able to apply all the things that I'd been studying to a baby.
0: Mm -hmm. And so that very specific to nutrition, because it was your wheelhouse. And of course, that makes sense. Did you do anything else uh, in terms of childbirth education classes, thinking of where you wanted to give birth?
1: Yeah. So we had just moved. Um, We had been trying to get pregnant and then we had stopped because there was a move. And of course that was when I found out I was pregnant about three weeks after we had just gotten to our new location. And um, so I started looking around for a midwife in the area and the closest ones were almost an hour away. Um, But we decided that we were going to make the commitment to that because we felt like a midwife would have a little bit more natural mindedness. And I did try to seek some acupuncture throughout the pregnancy, but that was also almost an hour away. Um, so I really focused a lot on just staying peaceful. I was between jobs. And so I spent a lot of my pregnancy just walking outdoors and getting sunshine and cooking healthy meals.
0: Mm, that sounds pretty good.
1: <laughs> it was definitely a great pregnancy. <laughs> yeah.
0: And you did go with the midwife, even they were an hour away exactly okay great so then how did how did labor start what happened
1: well so um the whole pregnancy had been really smooth i had had no morning sickness i felt like everything was just Happy, happy, and um, they had been keeping an eye on my blood pressure. That was the one question mark: was that it had gone up a couple of times, but it had always come back down into a reasonable range. And then at my thirty-six week appointment, which was a couple days after thirty-six weeks, <clears throat> I went in and they said, "Oh, your blood pressure is way up, and there's some protein in your urine. So we want you to watch it through the weekend and come back at thirty-seven weeks, and we're going to assess for uh, preeclampsia." And of course I had a home blood pressure monitor. So we were watching my blood pressure and now I'm a nervous wreck about preeclampsia. And so we watched it all night that night and the next morning and it continued to rise and rise. And so we called the midwife again the next day and said, Hey, do you think we need to come in? And they said, yeah, come in. We'll check you again. And the increase between the day before and that day in terms of protein and blood pressure was enough that they said, we need to, we need to get this going. We need to induce right now.
0: Hmm. And did you have any, um, any like, side pain, any of the other headaches, any other things that are sign of uh, preeclampsia?
1: Well, at that point, I really hadn't slept since the day before. So <laughs> I remember having kind of a mild headache, but I wasn't – I don't think it was anything major. I was just – pretty much freaking out at that point because I was so sure we were going to 40 weeks and 41 weeks and to me the whole idea of having that baby sooner was was really shocking.
0: Well yeah and it's a lot those three weeks are a big difference especially when it's not even in your radar.
1: Absolutely and I'd had all these fantasies in my head of rushing to the hospital from an hour away and going into labor on my own surprising and all that stuff and it was just really disappointing to hear that I was gonna have to have it on a different, in a different way.
0: Mm-hmm. And and I'm sure that, well, you mentioned this to me earlier, also that because of your emphasis in nutrition, you, this was not on your
1: radar at all. No, I mean, I had, because of the blood pressure, um, having gone up a few times, I had been focused on what I considered preventing preeclampsia diet and herbs and things like that. But I really hadn't thought that it was going to be an issue, and certainly not quite that soon.
0: Mm-hmm. So when they went in, when you went in to get checked, and they said, "Yes, stay. We'll just gotta get this going." Did you did, had you brought your bag with you, or were you sort of no. in a way half prepared for that?
1: No, not at all. I was sure that they were going to tell me that they were going to give me some medication that would reduce my blood pressure and send me home. So I didn't take a thing. I just was expecting that at the very least we'd wait until 37 weeks, which wasn't for another four days at that point. And so nope, I was completely unprepared.
0: Mm. (laughs) Okay. So what did you do to try to figure this out?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, so they did give me a tough choice. They said that they could either hang a magnesium IV or they could start the induction process. And I had a friend who had had preeclampsia and had done the magnesium and told me that it was a pretty uncomfortable process. And, um, they told me that based on the size that they were estimating the baby, that she would probably be okay. And it wouldn't be a big deal to have her this, you know, a couple of days earlier instead of waiting for 37 weeks. And so we kind of just talked about it for a few minutes and said, okay, let's go. I guess we're having a baby. (laughs) (laughs) so how did that induction start and how did it go well so friday night they did um i forget if it was cervidil or something like that they put some um, softeners on my cervix and um again that night we didn't get much sleep we were just really stressed out oh my gosh we're having a baby how did this happen (laughs) we knew we were having a baby but not this soon and um And then Saturday, they had been hoping I would start having contractions on my own because she was pretty low. I think I was already at two centimeters um, when they first checked me. And so they were hoping that maybe things would just kickstart and I wouldn't have to get into Pitocin. But Saturday, nothing. And so they said, let's start an IV of Pitocin. And that had been in my mind like the worst of all evils that I would have to have Pitocin, but, um, and I still feel that way. It was, it was pretty bad. Um, so let's break that down a little bit, just because
0: I know that Pitocin, like you said, you were, you thought it was the worst of all evils and, and, and there's a lot of uh, opinions and thoughts with Pitocin. So when it started, did it right away become very intolerable or did it smooth out? What was your experience with it?
1: It was pretty quick. Um, They started it really slowly. Uh, I did have a doula and she was helpful in terms of talking them into the minimum amount of everything. Um, And so she said, you know, let's just start this really low instead of going up by increments of two, let's go up by increments of one. And they did all of that. But I, you know, all the slow process in the world didn't change the fact that once it turned into what. I considered active labor. It was just hard and fast and steady and way more overwhelming than what I had felt like might have happened otherwise.
0: Mm -hmm. Did you feel that you were unable to catch your breath like it was just too much?
1: Yeah, pretty, pretty fast too. I mean, to just go from feeling like you're not in labor to suddenly feeling like you're basically being I don't know, uh, manually forced into it.
0: Mm -hmm. And was, were you at a, a level enough that it could be like taken down a little bit more or was it just at sort of the minimum and already that was hitting you hard?
1: They did take it down a little bit, but, um, when they would take it down enough to where I felt like I could catch my breath, it seemed like that wasn't enough productivity for what they wanted does that make sense
0: yeah and it's a it's one of those things that with what they're looking for is to generate transition-like contractions really strong long close together contractions um so that's they like they want to see five contractions no more than five contractions in in um i'm sorry no more than five contractions in 10 minutes um but but until it gets to that, like that's the sweet spot. That's what they're going for.
1: Yeah. And in my mind, I was, I just kind of remember thinking that my body hadn't caught on yet. Like I, this, I wasn't doing it yet myself. So whenever they would reduce the medication, it seemed like my body was like, Oh good. We don't have to be in labor yet.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So they, they kept that up um, for a while. And by um, Saturday evening, my blood pressure was continuing to rise and rise. And the doctors really started to strongly recommend that we move into epidural territory because possibly it would reduce my blood pressure by just being there, but also that reducing um, the discomfort that I was in would help with my blood pressure.
0: And so did you go for it? What happened?
1: (laughs) So I did. I went for it, even though that, again, that was like the other greatest evil i really wanted to not have an epidural and not have pitocin but the two seemed to go hand in hand and at that point i was sort of throwing up my hands to whatever the doctors thought would be best because i didn't want a c-section um and so they gave me an epidural and everything came to a screeching halt and they said okay you know we can you're still having some contractions but i wasn't feeling them but they were not as productive as they wanted. And they said, we can, um, you know, turn things down and let you rest for a little while. And at that point with two nights of no sleep, I said, sure, let's, let's take a little rest and get back at this in the morning. Um, and they did, but I continued to have contractions through the night and by Sunday morning, I really hadn't slept much. I was super wiped and they turned it back up and were able to get me all the way to a 10 at that point.
0: So even though you had the epidural, you felt contractions enough so that you couldn't sleep?
1: I think I was more just a nervous wreck. I could mm-hmm. feel that something was moving, but I, and I'm a light sleeper anyway. Um, but I think it was more the hospital setting. I wasn't in pain or discomfort or anything like that where it would have kept me awake. It was just the lights and the ding, ding, dings and the nurses coming in every once in a while. And I probably rested on and off for a couple of hours, but it was nothing solid or deep that I got.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Like the house, the bed is not comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> um, how? What was your blood pressure doing with all this? Did the epidural help bring it down?
1: It did. It brought it down. It didn't bring it back down to where... It was, you know, before this all started, but it brought it back to where they were not worried that I was going to have a major problem right then and there. And so it did its job for that.
0: Okay. And so you never had to go uh, up to a magnesium uh, uh, drip.
1: Correct. Yeah. I didn't have to do the magnesium, which I'm glad I didn't have to try that out.
0: Hmm. So then the, the, so now
1: we're talking, it's like Sunday afternoon. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's like Sunday morning probably. And they said, okay, you're at a 10, you can push. And I was like, what does that mean? (laughs) What do I do? And um, so they said, well, you should feel something, but let's turn off the epidural and see if as it fades, you know, that'll, you'll start feeling more of something. And so they turned off the epidural and, what I felt was contractions that were really uncomfortable as the Pitocin was continuing and um, nothing. And so they left the room and that was really surprising to me because I was like, I thought we're about to have this baby. Um, But five hours went by and they said, you know, we're going to let her labor down. And I kept looking at my husband and my doula and I'm like, is this normal? And they said, yeah, you know, I think they'd come back if it wasn't normal. But finally, at the end of five hours, uh, my husband, Scott, went out and grabbed the midwife and said, this has been a really long time since she's been supposedly able to push and she's still not feeling anything. Do you want to come check out and make sure everything's okay? And she said, yeah, we'll come in. Oh, wow. It has been a long time. You better push. And that to me was like really upsetting that they sort of made it seem as if, oh, maybe you should have done this a while ago, but. Everyone was waiting for me to want to push, and I never felt like I needed to. hmm
0: yeah and and were you feeling more pressure build up or not even?
1: No, I just just the continued contractions, but she had been low for a while. I remember feeling like her head was between my legs for a long like a week already um so I don't know if maybe that feeling need to push just didn't I
0: don't know hmm so then she
1: came in and you guys you started pushing yeah so she came in and they started instructing me on where to push and how to push and I'm laying on my back and just everything that I had kind of envisioned in my mind I didn't want to have happen was what exactly what was happening but I pushed as hard as I could and for about two hours and finally they said she's coming out I was like at least this weird part of this is over and we get to meet our baby. Um, They had ICU nurses there because she was technically premature at this point by a day. Um, But she came out and she was totally fine. Every, Every test was great and they gave her to me, so that part of it was what I had envisioned Mm, how was it meeting her (laughs) it was amazing I was after all that stress and I'd been I just had had in my head because it had been such a weird um kind of introduction I had thought that something would be wrong that she wouldn't be breathing and just given to me and free to hang out with me so I was so so happy um And then, you know, she was kind of sleepy, I think, because she still thought she was inside. So we put her on the breast and offered to see if she was ready to eat in that first hour or so, but she didn't really have much of an interest. She was just wanting to go to bed.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And that's so, that tends to be really common for preemies. Um, Yeah. Yeah. and to her she was like I wasn't ready to come out yet like this why am I out I didn't start this um which makes sense but before you before you continue with that let's take a break um and I also want to know what her weight was let's take a break we'll be right back and we are back
1: so Lydia how much did she weigh she was six pounds two ounces so she was a good size for being a little bit premature
0: yeah 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 and that makes sense that That I'm glad that worked out. And then you could have her for that first hour and 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 onwards, right? That she didn't have to go anywhere.
1: Yeah, she never left us. So that was awesome. Yeah. Um, and then the only real issue that we had was she had some jaundice, which they said is more common in um premature or early babies. And that over the first we were there, we ended up being in the hospital for about three days. um, And the second day, it had continued to rise the levels of bilirubin. And so they really were pushing, she's got to eat, she's got to eat, she needs more than just colostrum, and she needs to eat something. And I was really resistant to that, which is why we stayed to the third day, because they said, we can't let you go until she's had some food and gotten her jaundice levels down. Um, So on the third day, when I was still trying to breastfeed, she wasn't latching well, but I was pumping tons. And all that was coming out was just a little bit of colostrum and I knew that was still could be normal um but I they said you've got to feed her something so we finally went and got some formula and fed it to her and she was psyched she was really, really happy to eat and um, almost immediately they got the drop that they wanted in the bilirubin level levels and were able to release us.
0: Okay and so then you're going home With this baby trying to pump, what did you do? Did your milk come in right away?
1: No. So I waited, and I pumped and pumped and pumped, and I still was putting her on the breast. And she was doing okay at latching, but I think even at that tiny early age, she already knew she preferred, uh, we were using the SNS uh, system at that point, where we were putting a little tube on our finger to feed her the um formula and i think she was already favoring that and sucking much better there than on the breast um so yeah i pumped and pumped and pumped and days were going by and i was researching and i was taking goat's rue and fenugreek and everything i could think of to try to increase milk supply but i kept thinking something's supposed to come in there's supposed to be like a lot of milk at some point and it never happened and so By about 10 days, we started to realize that something was wrong and that milk might not be forthcoming. Um, And at that point, I started to seek some help.
0: Okay. Were you seeing a lactation consultant before that or no?
1: No, never thought of it. Just figured that it would happen. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, at about ten days, I started, you know, I called the midwives and I called the new pediatrician that we had, and everyone kind of said, It's, you know, milk can take a while, but this is kind of long, and just pump more and keep feeding her the formula, and things will turn around. And um, and actually... nobody
0: was in, uh, um, evaluating you for why this wasn't happening.
1: Um, my, the midwife said they could do some hormonal testing, which they did. And it was like, well, this number might be a little bit high, but it's not high enough to cause this problem. And maybe you should go see an endocrinologist. And I'm like, well, who do you see for this problem? There's got to be someone. And, um, I had read the book, making more milk by Lisa Marasco. And she happened to be local to me at the time. And so I called her up and she was so nice. She said, if you want to come in, I can check you out and evaluate you and see what's going on. And so yeah, that was the first time I left the baby. That was probably about two and a half weeks out. And I went down there and she checked everything out. And she said, at this point with having had no like major milk coming in, even if you, it was just low supply. She said, if you've had no milk come in, it's maybe you're just not going to be able to do this. And I was shocked. I was like, oh, my goodness. I didn't even know that could happen.
0: Great, because it is quite rare. Usually. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever get clarity about what was going, what happened?
1: No. Um, we tried prescription. Finally, after trying every supplement in the world, um, we tried prescription Domperidone which was, I think they had to get from Canada. It wasn't even normally prescribed in the U.S., um, but that didn't help. And then I tried another prescription for um, spironolactone in hopes that that was going to balance hormones in a way that would start the milk production. And still, I was waking up every two or three hours, pumping all night, and nothing really I would get maybe a couple of drops or at the most I would sometimes get half an ounce maybe once a day but that was it so we went on like that until about three months and then finally I said I just need to accept that this is never going to happen for me
0: and that is a really long time
1: yeah it was long <laughs> I think I would have stopped sooner if I'd known there was a possibility it just was not going to happen ahead of time mm-hmm
0: Right, because then you're in it, you're in the moment and you're like, but this has to work.
1: Right. Okay. So how did you come to terms with that? It was hard. I mean, I guess the part that helped me come to terms at that point was it was obvious my daughter was flourishing. She was happy and healthy and... Hitting all of her wellness visit checks and those things were reassuring for me. Just, okay, she's doing really well. She's obviously bright and interactive and it's, this isn't going to be a total, you know, total deal breaker on having a happy, healthy child. So that helped me to, to understand it. And then also, um, I started making a homemade formula, which for me felt like I was doing something. (laughs) I was contributing. Mm Mm-hmm so
0: that was aside fun. from pumping every two to three hours yeah, other, other <laughs> than all the pumping which
1: really wasn't <laughs> wasn't producing at least I felt like I could produce something for her to eat
0: <laughs> yeah um yeah and that's really hard to even do they balance out the nutritional requirements and and stuff of homemade formula um that's one where I'm like I don't know about this, Um, but I'm sure you did your research and figured out what was right for you and your family, and she was
1: thriving, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, and she still still is, so seven years later, I can say that that even without breastfeeding, you can have a healthy, happy child.
0: Well, and I think that's really important to (laughs) underline, highlight, and put exclamation points because... Your case was very extreme in the sense that you, there, like, no milk was coming and it wasn't necessary, it was a health or an intrinsic situation, not necessarily circumstantial. But even for people whose circumstances stack up and things don't, you know, like maybe the prematureness and say they didn't have the problem of, of or, or the situation of not being able to, to create milk, but, um, but having a premature baby and with the jaundice and, um, you know, say the pumping is not working and maybe they're going back to work right at two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, cause some people go back really early and like all those things can add up where you're at a place where our baby has a tongue tie or a lip tie, like it, it can be either both of both parts have equal play in it um, as a partnership so maybe it's baby having some issues and not being able to latch properly your baby's gonna be okay Mm -hmm. even if things like yes it would be ideal to have a lovely wonderful long lasting smooth breastfeeding relationship but that doesn't mean that if you don't get that then you can't bond and have a good feeding relationship with your child and other relation, other focused relationships with your child as well.
1: Absolutely. All is not lost.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I can understand that having expectations of doing that, that it's a really big adjustment to get to a point where you're like, okay, this is, she's going to be fine. Anyway, we're both going to be fine.
1: Absolutely. Hmm.
0: I'm still sorry that you had to go through all that, though, because, yeah, yeah, emotionally, that's hard. Um, Let's take another quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about your other birth experience. We'll be right back. Diaper rash. It can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who was also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at DrMomButtBalm.com. That's DrMomButtBalm.com. Or look for it at Amazon.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns. And sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives, we may not have the time to research and manage said investments. Which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future, and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So for example, I take advantage of Acorns Roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar, and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy-peasy investing. Head to acorns.com slash or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash birthful. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors, LLC Acorns, is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorn Securities, LLC. Member FINRA, SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. And we're back, talking with Lydia. Um, So you were telling me there's there's quite a gap between your two kids
1: there is yeah our uh, baby number 2 was kind of a surprise we had uh, we hadn't been not trying but we really hadn't been thinking about it for a while um and then I it guess. happened. Woo. And then surprise, <laughs> I, I think my daughter put it out into the universe. She just kept begging for a baby. That's all she wanted. And uh, he was conceived right about the time of her sixth birthday, which that had been her one and only thing she wanted for Christmas and for her birthday was for a baby to be given to our family. So, oh. <laughs> We think she sort of manifested him.
0: (laughs) Neat. So how, what was your, what were your thoughts then? And like, oh, now I'm pregnant. And what do I do? How did you prepare?
1: Well, you know, the reason I'd been a little bit ambivalent about a second one was because my first birth had been kind of not what I had dreamed of. And so I, my first thought was, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to do all this again. I'm going to have to go through the upset of an induction I'm gonna have to have a preeclampsia again and I'm not gonna be able to breastfeed again those three things just all came together and I was like but wait I have this beautiful child and I'm gonna get another one so that's awesome but yeah the the birth really had kind of been what had been standing in my way of being excited about trying to get pregnant a second time Mm. and now you Uh, like the choice was made for you Exactly. Now I didn't have to think about it, and it's funny. We had just started to give away a little bit of our stuff. Like, okay, we're getting older. This probably we're not going to have any more kids. And I have always heard that that's that's the ticket. If you if you want another baby, give away some of your stuff, and you. Will I get have
0: right. a friend that swears <laughs> by it. Yeah. Yeah. So it, she's it got happened. five kids.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, that's so funny. Yeah. So um, I the way I knew it because I hadn't really been thinking about it and I was only about two days late for my period, which wasn't abnormal for me. Um, But my dog, the whole time that I was pregnant with my daughter, he used to come in and sit in the bathroom in front of me and put his head on my knee. And it was unique just to that pregnancy and never did it any other time. And he came in this day and he put his head on my knee while I was going pee. And I was like, Oh, you haven't done that in a long time. Wait a minute. What are you telling me? And sure enough. Wow. Pregnant. <laughs> How cool is that? Right. Oh my goodness. It was pretty funny. Yeah. your
0: Dog told
1: you. <laughs> so I was impatient and called my husband at work instead of waiting to tell him in person, which he's still a little bit mad about because I actually did that in both pregnancies, but I called him and I was like, are you sitting down? Close the door. <laughs> I have to tell you something. And he was totally blown away even more than I was like, oh my gosh what is happening we hadn't thought about this in a very long time but um he was of course excited to have another baby so we proceeded even though we were we were a lot more i guess less naive this time a lot more worried about the medical side of it and concerned about how the actual birth and postpartum would go
0: right so so your three you know Things that were causing anxiety was preeclampsia induction and breastfeeding not being able to breastfeed, so did you do anything to try to figure those ahead of time, or was there anything you could do where were your were you were where were you at with that? <laughs> Ooh, that's a lot of <laughs> I um
1: I did everything I could think of, um, I would say in the alternative medicine type world to try to reduce the chances of preeclampsia um and try to prepare myself to induce naturally should I have to hit that point. So I went to I found a great acupuncturist, I once again, found midwives we had moved since the previous time. So I found a new set of midwives at my, um, new, in my new doctor network. And I, you know, took every supplement under the sun and just tried to stay as calm and peaceful as I could. I was working full time this time and also obviously parenting. So I wasn't as calm and peaceful this time. And I was also going into it with a higher baseline blood pressure because my blood pressure never went all the way back to where it was before my first pregnancy. Mm. So I was a little closer to that cutoff where they worry. Um, But I found the acupuncture made a huge difference. I would start to see my blood pressure rise towards the end of the week. And then I would go see my acupuncturist and she would bring it back down pretty easily Um, which was awesome. And I did a lot of essential oils. I worked with a homeopath. I mean, I really tried to think of every possible area that I could cover to try to help with those things. Mm -hmm. And, and nutrition, of course, still. Cool. So what happened? So Uh, Everything was kind of just borderline. Like I, my blood pressure crept up just a little bit each time, but wasn't getting up into the area of concern. And when I hit my 36 week appointment, I was terrified going in that it was going to be like it had been with Bella just in my head. That was like the turning point. And so I went in and my blood pressure was good. And the midwife said, see you next week. And I was so happy. And I went out of there and the next morning I woke up with a horrible headache. I mean, really bad. And I called the midwife and she said, check your blood pressure, take magnesium, see what happens. And I took the magnesium and it didn't help. I took a Tylenol, I think, and that didn't help. And I called her back and said, my blood pressure is still kind of high. I don't know if it's the pain, but this head- headache really hurts. And so she had me come in and she said, you have preeclampsia, we're diagnosing you officially, but you can wait until 37 weeks as long as your blood pressure doesn't go above X, Y, and Z. I can't remember what the exact reading was, but. How many days before you were 37? So this was, I had gone in on 36 weeks exactly. And then the next day was when the headache came. So I was 36 and one at that point, she said. 37 were inducing. And I was like, oh, just like the dirt clouds rolled in. Like it's all exactly the same as the last time. Um, I had had some bleeding early on in the pregnancy at like 14 weeks. And I remember my, uh, midwife made a comment that went at the end of the bleeding, like, okay, you made it through the scare, but that can indicate Um, issues later on with blood pressure and things like that and I was like what how do? how are those two related I couldn't even fathom that but it sort of felt like an omen (laughs) Mm. (laughs) that that things might not be perfect Um, but anyway yeah so I now had six days until I was going to be medically induced again just like I had with Bella and so I hit hit the gas on all natural induction options that I could think of or things to even ease labor or just anything. I was eating dates and putting evening primrose oil on my cervix and rolling around on my balance ball and went to get an induction massage on Saturday, um, which actually resulted, it was kind of cool. It resulted in on Sunday, I woke up with Painless contractions, but I could feel very strongly that they were not the same as the Braxton Hicks that i had had before. And it felt like they were moving the baby, like moving him into position. Hmm. And so that went on all day Sunday. And then Monday I woke up with nothing and I went to the midwife for my final check, knowing I was coming back the next day for induction. And she swept my membranes And I was like, is this going to work? Is this going to put me into labor? And she said, I don't know. I have people at 41 weeks coming in begging for me to sweep their membranes and it doesn't put them into labor. So, I mean, every time it's sometimes it works sometimes, but, but you can't, I can't tell you that you're going to go into labor at 37 weeks with this. And I was like, I just, I really, really hope that this can work. (laughs) (laughs) And I went in for a final acupuncture appointment and said, can you get this baby out of me? And she said, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to put all the energy we have. And I just said to the universe and to my baby, I said, I want a redemption birth. I want a birth on my terms. I want this baby to be coming out. I want, I want labor. I want to experience what I thought was going to happen the first time. And I said to the baby, you know, come out, please. We're ready for you. It's going to be a happy place. And we really want you here. And I went to bed Monday night, just sad that it was kind of all over and my run at trying to get to induce naturally had ended and I wasn't feeling anything. Um, but surprise, I woke up at twelve fifteen a.m. with what felt like period cramps and I went in the bathroom and just started you know, thinking, oh my gosh, could this, could this happen in time? Am I going to have to go into the hospital for my induction and I'm going to be halfway into my labor? Like, what are the doctors going to do? I was just going through all the ideas in my head of what might happen. Um, So I spent about 15 minutes in the bathroom, just kind of thinking about labor and feeling the contractions getting stronger and picking up. And I, thought about all your podcasts and all the people who had waited for so long for for real labor and sat in the tub and in and out and this and that and I was like I have so many hours to go before this becomes real but they're starting to pick up and they're starting to feel really intense and am I just the biggest wuss in the world what's happening here And finally, I went and got my husband after about 15 minutes. And I was like, I'm in labor, I think. And I mean, this seems like it's happening, but I know it can take a couple days. And I don't know. And he got up and got in the shower kind of like to clear his head. And while he was in the shower, he was like, you're yelling a lot. You're yelling a lot really fast. This, This isn't four or five minutes. This is like one or two minutes. I I think we need to go. And I was like, no, Adriana would tell me to wait. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm with your husband. (laughs) I know. Well, I just didn't, I couldn't believe it. It had only been like 30 minutes. And so I uh, I said, fine, all right, let's go to the car. Cause I was starting to kind of get panicky. Things were happening so fast and so intense. And we jumped in the car and called the midwife to tell her we were coming in. And she heard me and she was like, I don't think you can come in. We're 45 minutes away. You need to go to the closest hospital. You can't come here. And I was like, maybe you have the birth tubs. And I wasn't going to have a water birth. And she was like, go, go to the hospital. There's going to be no time for the tub. <laughs> no tub for you. You're not going to be able to fill it. So yeah, we tra- changed route, changed hospitals, raced to the nearest hospital showed up there and um I ran from the car to the emergency room and they had a wheelchair and I jumped on that backwards and rode it up to the room and they called they didn't have a doctor available or an OBGYN at least and so they called one and she was like 20 minutes away and I didn't even get into the bed from the wheelchair I made it halfway and was like leaned up on the bed and the doctor literally ran in and was pulling on her gloves in time to catch my son. Wow. So I went I woke up at twelve fifteen at and he was born at one forty six AM
0: Well, it seems like all the things you did that week suddenly were
1: <laughs> <laughs> They suddenly all came together for a giant cascade of here you go. Uh, it felt like the race to the finish and beating that induction time by just a few hours, like, oh my gosh, I got the redemption birth I wanted. I got the no Pitocin and no epidural and no anything. I actually. No, I, no
0: heplock, no, oh. no admitting papers, no, <laughs> nothing.
1: <laughs> Absolutely nothing. So that was great. <sighs>
0: yep. And how was your son? Did you get to like right away snuggle him? How was that?
1: Well, so I, had, I hadn't I had had a chance to tell anyone my birth wishes. The first thing that happened when he came out was they went to cut the cord and I was like halfway incoherent. And I'm like, don't, don't do that. Hold on. <laughs> I wanted to wait on that. And um, they they did, luckily. I mean, even though they hadn't, that wasn't their usual routine thing. And so they... Um, placed him on my stomach very low because it was short. The cord was a little bit short. And so I held him there for a while, seemed like maybe 10 minutes or something. And then they said, I think it's all done. Everything that it's going to do, it's white. We're going to cut it now. And I said, okay, go for it. And then they handed him to me and it was amazing. It was like, just felt so different than it had with Bella. I was equally excited to see both of them, but it felt so much better to have it be on my terms, what I, or what felt like my terms as much as it could be.
0: Mm. And this was a completely also pushing, completely different pushing stage because this was all ejection reflex.
1: Totally. Yeah. I forgot to mention that. Yeah. I did not even think once about pushing. I remember it happening and I probably pushed three or four times, but it was like, um, like you've had people describe in past episodes. It just, my body just pushed him right out. I had no control over it. I couldn't have stopped it. I hear people talk about stopping pushing when they want to, there was no option of anything like that. Hmm. It was just happening.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and I didn't ask you compared to last uh, the first birth. Um, and did you tear for this one? Did you tear for the last one?
1: The first one I didn't, and the second one I did. Um, but just a little bit, and they were able to stitch it up. It was maybe four or five stitches, nothing major.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's because he was coming out so quick, or right. like, and and in the scheme of things, I know we always think like tears, uh, like that could be the worst thing because we think. And he, you know, like a wound in our vaginas and our labia. It's like, yeah, I don't want that, and nobody wants that. But in the scheme of things, you don't even feel when it's happening. No, and I have no idea. Like, labor so is so many other sensations that are happening that that's not really that relevant in the moment.
1: Exactly, it was a little bit more uncomfortable afterwards than it had been with Bella, but it wasn't. It was certainly no big deal. Hmm um and how much did he weigh he was six pounds 12 ounces so just a little bit bigger a tiny bit bigger yeah um and we did a similar thing we he was more awake than she had been definitely (laughs) maybe had some of the adrenaline from the birth but um he we tried to breastfeed and he was into it and wanted to try um and so we were able to do that when to give him his colostrum for a couple of days. But once again, I was waiting for the milk to come in and we had left the hospital at this point And I was trying every last thing. And he also had some jaundice. So they had let us go, but they had told us we had to check in daily with our pediatrician. Um, and I started formula a little bit earlier with him because I had known it might be a possibility. And, uh, so he, he was into the formula, but still willing to keep trying with the breastfeeding. Plus I was pumping. So I was like, surely this is going to be better. I kind of had blamed all the fluids and the Pitocin and the stress. Ultimately that had all added up in my head as being the most major reason for my inability to breastfeed with Bella. And I was sure that this time something might be different, but unfortunately it wasn't. We, we tried again and did all the things that we could think of and I did meet with a lactation consultant and she said look I just want to manage your expectations it's possible it's just not gonna happen and so once again we you know by day 10 I was like I don't think this is gonna happen but I'm still pumping all I can and giving him every little drop just because maybe that'll help with his immune system and whatnot and this time I only went about six weeks of pumping and then I just sort of tapered off stopped doing the night pumping and then stopped pumping at all because it just wasn't producing again it was just drops and not worth not Mm. worth all the effort
0: (laughs) so this time around how long did you like last time you were trying everything and you pumped until about three months before saying okay this is this is not gonna work how long did you go for this time
1: it was only about six weeks before number one I could just see that the even the drops I was getting were decreasing and number two I was just exhausted and this time I knew I was going back to work I didn't want to spend my whole three months that I had off being miserable and not focused on the baby because all I was thinking about was pumping and getting up at night and washing pump parts (laughs) and it just wasn't wasn't in the cards I could tell so so I stopped around six weeks, I tapered off.
0: Yeah. And to me, six weeks even seems long considering the that you weren't, get, you know, there because some people spend a whole year before it's, they feel like, oh, this finally we're breastfeeding well, but mm-hmm. there's increment and improvement throughout, like they can see some change where I'm guessing with. You weren't, like you said, you weren't seeing that much and even you were seeing the the drops go down.
1: Yeah, my only thought at that point for continuing was just that the few drops he was getting might be giving him some immunity or some antibodies or whatever to help him with the, it was in the middle of winter and I didn't want him to get a cold or get sick.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, And we know like there's ample research that says that any amount of breast milk that you get does. Right have benefits to it. Um, did you ever consider a reach out to milk banks for, to getting donated milk?
1: We did. And I kind of forgot that in um, Bella's story, we did, you, we purchased um, milk from a milk bank for about two weeks when she first came home from the hospital, but it was all out of pocket and it was like $250 a week. And then with Marcus, um, they had donor milk at the hospital that had been frozen, but They offered that to us. And so we stayed in the hospital as long as we could so that we could keep feeding him that. Um, And then when they sent us home, we bought donor milk from a a milk bank again. And again, we did about two weeks, but it was really expensive. and um, It is. not sustainable
0: (laughs) no no it is quite expensive because of the whole process and all the checks that they do for it and they do lightly pasteurize it and yeah there's a lot to getting that donor milk for sure right I can appreciate it um so where are you at now that it's been because how old is Marcus
1: he's almost six months he's five months now
0: so that it's been, you know, five and some months since you've gone through this whole experience. Um, where are you at now with these challenges and and your identity and all that?
1: I am just so happy that I was able to have that um, different birth experience because, number one, I truly convinced myself that there was nothing more I could have done in terms of trying to breastfeed. It wasn't because I got induced. It wasn't because of the Pitocin. It wasn't because I got that epidural. And if only I'd said no, maybe I could have breastfed. You know, I've really proved to myself that there was, there was no rock unturned. Um, And then I also just really appreciated that I got to, to feel that power of having done it on my terms. Hmm. No, so, and
0: I, I am thrilled for you that somehow you were able to like make this rally and make <laughs> this happen. All things came together so that just before your induction, uh, you know, thirty-seven weeks, no less, because that's that's early for a baby. Um, yeah. that this happened on its own.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Is there something that uh, you wanted to make sure the listeners knew that we hadn't gotten to?
1: No, I think we covered most everything. I just, the reason I most wanted to share this was just to kind of throw my story out there in terms of the breastfeeding to let people know that sometimes it just can't work. And no matter what you do, that's, it's okay. (laughs) And then I'm looking back on it with two very healthy, very happy kids who are thriving.
0: Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, like any of the interventions, we're happy they're there for when they're needed, mm-hmm. because they are sometimes needed. It's the overuse that it's the the problem. <laughs> but absolutely, yeah. But we're still super glad that they're there, and and proof that you have your two gorgeous children. That and and lots of like, there's tons of formula-fed babies out in the world.
1: Exactly. (laughs) And we do
0: okay. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yes.
0: Lydia, thank you so very much for sharing your story today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Mighty Ones. Find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com where you can also learn more about me, the show, send me messages and more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Oh, and in case you wanted to know, here's what Lydia had for breakfast.
1: <laughs> I've only had coffee so far this morning.
0: I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. This episode is copyright 2019 by Adriana Lozada. Hey Mighty One, did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.